everyone. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm your host, Chad Dotson. Joining me again here on episode number 154 of the Red Leg Nation Radio podcast, my friend and yours, the venerable Jason Linden. How you doing today, Jason? I'm doing good. Venerable? I don't know. Well, oh, man. <laughs> there are plenty of uh, adjectives I could use to describe you, but not all of them are fit for this family podcast. I, I got labeled veteran at work last year, and I'm still getting comfortable with that. Can we hold on venerable for like another year or two at least? Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Um, you know, uh, Jason and I were talking earlier today, hey, listen, we're going to do a podcast tonight. What are we going to talk about? And there wasn't a whole lot of news that uh, had happened over the last week and uh, i hope you did get a chance to listen to our last podcast where uh chris welsh reds broadcaster chris welsh uh, the the crafty left-hander joined us and and uh really a, a wide-ranging interview about the future of the reds and some of his thoughts about some of the younger guys i thought were fascinating and uh and jason and i were thinking man how do we how do we follow that up what are we going to talk about and just as soon as we said there's no news uh a couple of couple of items hit the news this afternoon and the one i want to begin with because i think it's a fun one and because uh, Jason likes to make fun of me, as everyone does, for how much I've uh, fallen for Billy Hamilton. But uh, they announced the finalists for the uh, Rawlings Gold Glove Awards today, and and they, you know, the last couple of years they've done this differently. They've announced three finalists at every position, and uh, uh, you know, it makes it a little bit, a little bit more of an honor for more people, I guess. And uh, Billy Hamilton, the last couple of years, has been been a finalist. And this year he was a finalist again in center field, along with uh, who else was Ender Enciarte uh, for the Braves, uh, and now I'm blanking on the third one. But everyone kind of expected Billy Hamilton to be a finalist, and I do want to talk about Billy Hamilton. But to me, and you can tell me if you agree with this, Jason, the surprise he deserved to be a finalist, but it really sort of surprised me that he was one. Was Adam Duvall out in left field uh, was a finalist with Christian Yelich of the uh, Marlins and. Uh, and Starling Marte, who won it last year from Pittsburgh. So how surprised were you about uh, your – I know you're a big Adam Duvall fan. How surprised were you? Um, moderately surprised. I mean, I think we all know that he, that he looked pretty good in left field and had some good numbers. It was just something that I hadn't really um, hadn't really thought about. But I think they did revamp the, the gold glove, unless I'm completely yes. misremembering, to include an, an objective component. Um, and I think that that's, you know, that alone was probably enough to get, um, to get Duval a nod. Yeah. Um, I, so, so I, I would, I would guess that that's, you know, because I mean, again, I think he's the kind of player who were it not for, um, <clears throat> excuse me, were it not for like, or if it was just like opinion driven or whatever, he probably wouldn't have gotten a nod because, I don't think he's quite enough on on enough people's radar yet, but I think the numbers probably popped him up there. Which is, I mean, if it from everything I can tell, it's deserved. So yeah, why not? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, I think you're exactly right. As as I understand it, it's sort of a seventy five percent, twenty five percent thing, where they twenty five percent of it is weighted uh, for the stats, basically the defensive uh, metrics, and then seventy five percent I think is uh, managers and players voting. And and the reason why I had really not thought Adam Duvall would end up being a, a real candidate was that I guess maybe I'm just sort of still thinking in the in the old mode back in the day when a guy like Rafael Palmero can win at first base when he was a DH all year uh, you know Adam Duvall is not a flashy guy uh, we'll talk about Billy Hamilton a big part of his case is he's on SportsCenter all the time Adam Duvall was not that guy yeah. but as you said all of his metrics look great I mean if, if you look at uh Fangraph's uh, defense measurement, defensive runs above average, basically. Uh, he was the top left fielder in all of baseball 
by uh, by that. And, and when you, if you look, you look at something quick and dirty like defensive war at baseball reference, and there, this is really, as I say, quick and dirty. These are not digging too deep down into the metrics, but uh, Starling Marte was the only nationally left fielder higher uh, than uh, in defensive war than, than Duvall. And we all thought he looked good, and the metrics had shown us all year he was looking good, but it, man, it just... Duvall came in as as with the reputation of a guy who was such a butcher at third base that the, he was just not an option there for the Giants, and, and the Reds didn't consider him there. And it took me a little while to wrap my brain around the fact that Adam Duvall, you know, he's, he was athletic, he had pretty good range, uh, and he didn't make those crazy plays, but he made every play just about. And and, and I'm, I'm with you; it's a it's a well deserved honor. And, and I'm a little surprised to hear you say that, since you're known widely as the number one Adam Duvall hater on earth. Um, I think I am Adam Duvall's nemesis now, or he's mine. I'm not sure. I'm not sure entirely which is which, but I know that there's some some nemesis status has been invoked. Let's just put it that way. Well, you know, uh, the guy was an all star in his first year, 33 homers, 133 RBIs, now a Gold Glove finalist. There are a hundred and X plus years over the history of baseball. You look at that. And you think, oh my goodness, this is one of the very best players in baseball. And you get you get poked fun of a lot. I'm poking fun of you tonight about the fact that you're just a little a little realistic. Hey, fun story. Yes, he had a fun season. But, you know, look, I, look a little closer. He's not like... Yeah, you know, I, I have said and will continue to say that I would love to be proven wrong. I would love it if he would go on to hit 250 home runs and all the fancy trappings that he wants, but he's 28 and had a 297 on base percentage. <laughs> right. I, I think that's the difference. Uh, <clears throat> the Reds need a, a left fielder for the next five years. Adam Duvall's yeah. not that guy, and that's not putting him down to say, you know, he had a really good year. But just because he's not a guy that I necessarily want to be counting on for five years, uh, it gets perceived as a criticism, certainly when it comes out of your mouth. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But, uh, but, um, but yeah, no, I think from everything I could tell, he absolutely deserves, um, probably frankly, de- flat deserves the gold glove in left field. Um, I don't think that there should be a lot of competition. I kind of feel the same way with Hamilton. Um, I was kind of while we've been chatting, I've been looking up the, uh, the stats. And even though Hamilton didn't even play enough technically to qualify for the batting title, he still led the National League in, um, Defensive runs, according to fan graphs, in center field, and and Duvall leads in left field, um, and I just feel like yeah, those two should be the guys. I mean, I, I don't like I said, I don't really see a case for anybody else there. I think there's uh, a decent case for uh, uh, what's his name, the Brave. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> this is bad. This is not a Braves podcast, if you haven't noticed. Uh, Inciarte. Um, yeah. I think there's a good case for him because he is really good and he has a better arm than uh, – this is what he has over Billy Hamilton. He has a better arm than Hamilton, and he played more. And so, uh, you know, when you start to look at some of those stats, you got to see a little bit more out of him. And he's equally – not equally flashy, but he's also fairly flashy. He's good. More, That's true, but let's see. Let me let me pull that back up here real quick. It'll just take a second. Uh, I don't um, have a second. This is a, an important media event, this podcast, oh, and yeah, you should important. be ready. Important. This is, this is essential. <laughs> yes. Essential. Chadwick. Um, no, I, listen, I'm not criticizing Billy. I'm saying okay, right. Hamilton's got him by a tenth of a run yeah. in like 12 fewer games. So that's pretty neck and neck. But yeah, but I still think I still think I would go Hamilton. Um, I will say this. Um, this is, uh, I guess, a little bit of a, pre- uh, a preview for the handful of people or for the people who listen to this and maybe are also interested. But 
Um, I think people know I work for the Hardball Times and um, website, and and we put a book out every year called The Annual, and there are some very interesting defensive statistics that will be coming out in, in that um, one article in particular that I just edited. Um, and let me just say that Billy Hamilton looks really good in that analysis. Yeah, he's a comic book superhero, as I've said many yeah. times. Uh, and and uh, definitely- It's good to think he looks now. He looks really good. Really? Well, see, now, I buy the annual every year anyway, and I would encourage all of you to. It's always great, but there's yet another reason why that's going to be uh, coming to my house at some point. So here, here's what I see happening with, uh, with the gold gloves. I actually think that Billy Hamilton will win I th- uh, because he does look good in the metric, all the metrics, uh, you know. And he's, and he's fun to watch. And he has, he, yeah. fun. Yes, he's got that highlight reel, uh, you know, yeah. uh, uh, cachet about him. Uh, I think, though, there's a better argument. I think he has more competition, in my opinion. I think He should have more competition, but is more likely to win than right. Adam Duvall, I think is what you're saying. Yeah, and Duvall sort of the flip side. I think Duvall, the more I looked at it today, I mean, I knew he'd been good, but I really sort of dug into it today. And, you know, I think Adam Duvall was the best defensive left fielder in all of baseball, and I, that surprises I me. I think he was too. Yeah, and uh, I think I think Starling Marte got it last year, and he deserved to get it last year. But I think Starling Marte is likely to get it this year. But I think there's a great, there's a better case to be made that Duvall is a is a clear Gold Glover than Hamilton, and I cannot believe that I'm actually saying that, and that's that's great. Yeah, I mean it's it's well, well oh, wait. He has a better case than Hamilton, yes, but Hamilton obviously is a better defender overall. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Between left field and center field, which is, by the way, that's a, an important thing that people should should remember is that uh, center field is harder than left field. It is, and and I wondered, uh, I you know, I don't know how this shakes out, but I wondered if having Hamilton in center field helps Duvall. You know, he has to get to, to fewer balls; he doesn't have to get to as many. I'd be really interested to see what the Statcast data said about uh, about Duvall. So what about this idea? I'm gonna throw out for you here. The Reds, uh, since we know Brandon Phillips is gonna be the starting second baseman next year, they can start Jose Peraza as an additional as an additional infielder, and then just have Hamilton and Duvall in the outfield, two outfielders. You're you're up for that, right? Chad, <laughs> you know it's gonna happen. Don't do this to me. <laughs> you know it's gonna happen. No, I don't know it's gonna happen. It, Billy or uh, Brandon Phillips is gonna be the starting second baseman, probably hitting cleanup on opening day next year. Chad, if I knew your middle name, I would middle name you right now. <laughs> yeah, that might deserve the middle name. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, one more point about the – well, anything else you want to say about the gold gloves before I make my final point? No, the gold gloves are fun. They're kind of like – I don't know why, but they're kind of my favorite end-of-the-year award often because they're often – they often have been so silly um, in terms of who they're awarded to. But I, I, I'm always kind of – strangely tickled by them anyway i hope i hope that hamilton and duvall both win because that would be fun yeah that'd be great it'd be fantastic you know I, I'm, I'm the same way i've always for whatever reason i'm a sucker for all these awards though i'm a sucker for the debate about mvp about all of it cy young uh, and gold glove and and a lot of that goes back to when i was really really getting into the reds big time uh, barry larkin seemed like the first few years of his career was getting screwed every year by ozzy smith getting an undeserved uh, gold glove at the end of his career now it's that's probably my bias as a Reds fan because Ozzie Smith is a Hall of Fame defender for a reason but I always thought that Larkin got uh two or three gold gloves fewer than than he should have gotten so I'm saying I, I tend to agree with you I think he did 
Um, can I, this is a, a completely random thing, but you brought up the awards. I want to offer an unsolicited opinion. If Mike Trout does oh, not gosh. win the MVP this year, then I, then the MVP award is pointless. It's completely meaningless. It's completely meaningless. And, uh, yeah, the, let, let, the fact go ahead. that he has won only one award while being like through age, through his current age, his age 24 season, he has more has generated more wins above replacement than any other player in Major League Baseball history. Right. That, that's that's including every player that's ever played every baseball. Ever. He passed the only competition he had was Ty Cobb, and he passed Ty Cobb this year. Ty, Ty Cobb was okay. Ty Cobb was all right. <laughs> and Ty Cobb played a hundred years ago right. in a much different league. <laughs> like, I, we talk sometime about. I'm sorry to interrupt there, but we talk sometime about Joey Votto and how Reds really need to, fans really need to really cherish what we're seeing with Joey Votto. People don't realize, do they, what we have in Mike Trout as baseball fans? Mike Trout is is like if Joey Votto played center field like Willie Mays, right? And and people say, oh, Willie Mays. Mike Trout is a he's in the conversation with guys like Willie Mays and Ted Williams and the, the greatest players ever. That's not hyperbole. It's not uh, it's not recency bias. This is just the guy that we've seen, so we think he's good. He's legitimately a historically great player up to this point in his career, and has one MVP. Yeah, it's just it's it's appalling. It is the the the. I I just it boggles my mind. I just it does not it it legitimately does not compute for me. I don't understand anything about it uh the the only thing i can think of that i recall that that is sort of comparable to it was some of the treatment that like the the now much maligned alex rodriguez got when he was with the mariners where he just should have run away with things and didn't um and it's just like he should just it should be the mike trout award right now he should win it every year until he shows us that he's not worthy of it i mean it's really true that's that's you know, that sounds crazy. It's really go look at the numbers. It's really not hyperbole. It's really true. And what I compare it to is uh, is LeBron James to to move into a different sport because LeBron James has had you know three or four MVPs stolen from him. Derrick Rose has one of LeBron's MVPs. Kevin Durant has one of LeBron's MVPs in, on his mantle. Um, one of Steph Curry's MVPs should have been LeBron's. Look here. Let's let's put it this way. We we all know Joey Votto well, right? Joey Votto debu- debuted in two thousand and seven. He is building himself a fairly interesting Hall of Fame case, especially if he can do it for a few more years. He has forty six point seven wins above replacement. Mike Trout debuted in two thousand and eleven, and has forty seven point seven wins above replacement. <laughs> That's four a- fewer years, because he was an end-of-the-year debut like Votto was. He has four fewer years and has passed Joey Votto, who is building a Hall of Fame case. Right, yeah. He, he's ahead he of a potential Hall of Fame. It's, it's insane. It's just completely insane. And uh, it, 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 when, when I get a chance to watch him, which is not as often as I'd like, but he's, he's one of these guys that just does something every time you watch him, seems like, that blows your mind. And I, and I compared him to LeBron because – and the reason I said that was – it seems like that sometimes people are sick of LeBron and want to give it to you know the second best guy. Give it to somebody else. Different story. I had hoped that baseball was 
you know, in most cases, baseball has gone so uh, gone in the direction of a more analytical bent, even in the even in the uh, awards. But MVP, for whatever reason, has not been like that. They, you know, being on a winning team, things like that, are have just. I, I still don't understand that argument that someone on a winning team is more valuable than somebody that's not on a winning team because they have better because the Angels didn't have good teammates for Mike Trout. That means he's less valuable. It doesn't make any sense. To me, the most valuable player is the best player, uh, by definition. But I just, I don't know, I think there's some kind of, it's not really a bias, uh, and I'm not going to say the system is rigged, but I don't understand why he's not had more support when you consider the things he's doing that no one else can do in baseball. I, it just, it blows my mind. I don't understand it. Yeah, it can, I mean, I really do think that barring injury, I mean, baseball always has the barring injury thing. Mike Trout is going to finish his career, and I this is not hyperbole, as one of possibly the, like, if not, he'll either be in the top 10 ever, or he will be quite possibly the greatest baseball player to ever play. Yeah, I think given health, uh, the arc he's on is absolutely top 10, probably top three. Um, but he, you're right, he has a chance. <laughs> a player that's playing now that we can watch every day and probably can watch for the next 10, 12 years or more, has a chance to be the best player that's ever played baseball. That's exciting to me as a baseball fan. I know he's not yeah. a red, but man, that's that's exciting to me. We Here's were, a, I'm just I'm just having fun with this right now. Um, he's a quarter of the way to Babe Ruth. Th- think about that, people. We're, we're talking about Babe Ruth and Ted Williams, and play, this is a guy that's literally legitimately in that conversation. It's not ex- an exaggeration. So, you know who else is in that conversation? Billy Hamilton. <laughs> hey, wait, what? Oh, <laughs> man. I might have along with you if you'd, if you'd thrown Joey Votto out there. <laughs> Jason. What about Adam Duvall? <laughs> All right. Now, one, one last point about the gold gloves before we move on. I, one thing, he didn't deserve to be a finalist. I mean, I can see why he wasn't, but I was really hopeful that Zach Cozart would have a chance to win his first gold glove this year because he came back from the injury and he was he was really good defensively. And he's been so good for so long, but has toiled in relative obscurity. And and he had did all these. Did he really in- have to be a finalist? I kind of feel like he did. You think so? I don't. I don't know that he was. That's a question I'm going to have to answer. I never. I don't think he was. Either way, he's never won one. No, he hasn't, which is a shame. I mean, he's been. Um, overshadowed by some sort of other, some some kind of otherworldly talent. Um, yeah, and I'm the, I'm blanking on the name right now. Who was it the Braves had for a few years? Um, Andrelton Simmons. Andrelton Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, looks like no, you're it. right. Cozart. I had to look it up. You're right. Cozart did not really deserve it. No, he didn't deserve yeah. it this year. I don't think he missed a lot of he was time still and really good, but he didn't actually deserve it. Yeah, you're right. Uh, he was a finalist in 2014. Looks like I think that might be the yeah. only time. So he was a he was a finalist uh, one, at least once, but didn't win it uh, this year. I was hopeful that he'd play a full season to get a chance to win one because yeah, I'm, I've been a fan of of Zach Cozart. I've defended him uh, on occasion, <clears throat> and he's been a really good glove for a while. And I was hopeful he'd get there. And I just on the occasion of these finalists being announced, I thought we it wouldn't hurt to mention. Uh, too bad, Zach, because his time may be uh, coming to a close here in Cincinnati. Although I think he and Brandon Phillips will be the opening day middle infield combination. Chad, in Cincinnati. I'm telling you, I believe that. That's not uh, that's not joking around. I'm not kidding. I I, I legitimately think Cozart's going to get moved in the off season. Uh, I, I I don't want that because I do like Cozart. I don't want to say that's a good thing, but it probably is the best thing. 
Peraza got to play, doesn't he? I mean, honestly, it's probably the best thing for everybody, like Cozart included. Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be good for Cozart to get in a spot where he could play for a team, maybe even a contender, and yeah. uh, extend his career with a with an organization that needs a guy at his point in his career? Yeah, I think Cozart's going to get moved. Phillips, who knows? <laughs> um, I like Brandon let's Phillips today. Let's let's wait. Yeah, let's. We talk about Brandon every single podcast. Let's talk about something else. The Reds have made some transactions today, some roster moves, and uh, some of them are very, very vanilla, and nobody uh, is interested. Such as Devin Mezzarocco and the aforementioned Zach Cozart, along with Caleb Cotham and Yorman Rodriguez being activated from the sixty-day disabled list. And the Reds had some room on the uh, 40. Caleb Cotham has been activated. Uh, isn't it great? He's not the relief pitcher you uh, need, but he's the relief pitcher this city deserves. See, that's a little sure. Gotham City joke for you there, Jason. Gotham I, I, City. I, I, yeah. I caught that one. It's from the comic books. <laughs> oh, I believe man. it's uh, is it uh, Wolverine who it's, plays in Gotham City, right? Something like that. Listen, Red Leg Nation Radio, your 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 home for all the comic book jokes you can stand um so none of that is really that interesting devin miserocco and zach cozart we hope well we don't know about cozart we hope miserocco is going to be a player i'm not sure rodriguez he could be a bench guy i don't know and cotham could be a reliever who knows but the reds had some room on the 40-man roster those guys activated and they're now back on it and the reds also added ariel hernandez to the 40-man roster and, you know, I, I knew a little about Hernandez. Uh, so when they picked him up a while back and hadn't paid much attention to him. And uh, he had a pretty good year this year, as it turns out. And so 24-year-old right-handed pitcher was an independent ball in 2015. Uh, mm-hmm. Red saw something like, picked him up uh, in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft. Had a 2.18 ERA, a pretty high, uh, struck out almost 11 batters per nine innings. And he was old for single A, but... Yeah, uh, but he's got a live arm, evidently, and uh, got a good, good curveball. They say so. They they added him, and to make room on the forty man roster for him, this surprised me. Did it surprise you? The Reds designated John Lamb for assignment. It surprised me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, Hernandez. I didn't know anything about him. I looked him up. I assume that that's a, a Rule Five draft protection kind of thing. Yeah, he would have been taken by someone else. That that, that, that was the thinking, as I understand. He would have been yeah, taken you, in the Rule Five. You draft. can imagine somebody taking him, seeing what he can do out of the bullpen. Yeah, take a flyer on him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Lamb. John Lamb. He had boy. He had. I mean, his year could not have gone worse than it went. <laughs> no. I mean the the poor guy with the injuries and. It just never, it never came together for him, and I and I think with as bad as the pitching was for the Reds in the first half of the season, if you look at what they're going to have going forward, I think he was probably the odd man out. I think best case scenario, he was going to be a middle reliever as is, and uh, I think his time just kind of ran out. But you know, uh, the the but here to me is that. You talk about a bad year, first of all. Awful on the on the field. Back surgery last week, designated for assignment today. But man, this is a guy that a few years ago, uh, I think four years ago maybe, he was one of the top 20 prospects in all of baseball, according to both Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus. I mean, that's 
Wait, That's a big John deal. John Lamb? John Lamb was. Go go look it up. Wasn't? Five no years way. ago, you go look it up. But he had the injury, the Tommy John surgery, came back as a soft tosser. So he's a different pitcher than he was then. But still. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I'm looking at it now. In, in, in 2010, he, wow. Yeah. Holy cow, in 2010. No, he was a legit elite prospect, and which shows you why they, they always people. say there are no pitching prospects because they all get hurt. Um, but he's just 26 with that pedigree, and and he struggled last year, yeah, but his, his, his strikeout-to-walk ratio wasn't wasn't that bad, 110 to 50. Um, home runs, that was the problem. But yeah, my, my thinking is the Reds must have thought – that with the back surgery last week, they could sneak him through, and that he and he is out. Of, he's out of options too. I thought that he would accept a he would accept a, an assignment to AAA. That's all I can think because, yeah, he was awful this year. It's been the year. It's well, been just a yeah. Bad I mean, year. nobody is going to grab John Lamb coming off back surgery and make sure he stays on their major league roster all year. No, no, but I, he's a guy that I might, if I had a spot on the roster, I might take a flyer on. Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, he's a, you know, rule five is I have to stay on the major league roster all year, right? Yes, yes, all right, yeah, yeah. And so, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I was really surprised, and and my thinking is they just, they just must really, truly believe he's going to sneak through, and they'll be able to hang on to him, not because he was any good this year. And you're right, probably all things being equal, he he was the odd man out, and would be the odd man out going forward. And I don't think he's got some huge upside at this point. But I thought he was going to still going to have a chance to be a useful arm. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, he looks like he drives a yellow Camaro and, and wears an REO Speedwagon T-shirt to every game, and that's a that's a good thing. Yeah, and you know, I I will say this, and I didn't talk to John Lamb a significant amount at all when he was in Louisville, but the little bit I did talk to him, you absolutely did get the impression that he really cared. Really? Uh, yeah, which is, I mean, that's always something that you want to see, like from a player is you want to know that they actually care. I, I, you know, I remember one of his rehab starts in Louisville when he just got shelled. I don't know that he made it out of the third inning and it was a rehab start. So nobody was that stressed about it, but like still he like showed up, talked to the press. There were reporters there to see him and he went into the interview room and after getting lit up for seven or eight runs or whatever it was. And he sat there and talked to us. And he clearly was like upset that he hadn't pitched well, but and he clearly cared, and it was just like it was kind of one of those things where it was good to see, and it made you kind of wish he had done a little bit better because you know obviously whenever guys care, you want to see them do well. So you know I don't know I don't know it's not not as though I know him, but he seems like a decent enough guy, and, and hopefully things work out for him. Yeah, that brings to mind. Actually, I'd sort of forgotten this that I wrote a piece about John Lamb last year after the trade for for Cincinnati Magazine. And one of the things was he, he talked, he didn't talk to me. It was these quotes that I, from other sources, but he talked a lot about, he really didn't care until the injury. And he went on and on about what, how his workout routine was now and how he decided that he had to take it seriously. And, and lots of quotes from guys in the Royals organization that, yeah, he doesn't have the same stuff as he had, but, uh, but he's worked so hard to transform himself and to become a pitcher that could be a major league pitcher. Uh, and that fits in with with what you're saying. He's a, you know, he's a guy that I, if for no other reason than than organizational depth, uh, yeah, maybe he's just a middle reliever. But yeah, you, know, you got to have those guys. He's a lefty, yeah. um, 
So I, I hope the Reds can hang on to him. I'm still I'm not high on John Lamb, but he's still a guy that I think is in the mix to be an arm that could be on the next uh, pitching staff of the of the next good Reds team. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, you never know what will happen next year if, if he hangs on with the Reds. They're going to be looking for, I think, middle relief. I think the back end of the bullpen is pretty set, but but middle relief is very much up in the air, and he definitely could be a guy who could come in. And he would be one that middle reliever who, you know, in a pinch, somebody gets hurt or whatever, he can make your spot start, give you four or five innings. Yeah. Um, and, you know, without kind of really being prepped for it and kind of be valuable in that way. Boy, he's, he's had two back surgeries, though, in ten months. That's brutal. Yeah. That's brutal. Uh, so I, I hope the Reds can hang on to him, though, and, and not because I think he's the next big thing and he's not one of the, the elite prospect he once was, but, man, you can, a team like the Reds can't just give away useful parts. And they've, I'm sure they've done the done the math on it and determined you only got 40 spots. you got to keep who you can keep, and they determined that Ariel Hernandez is a better, uh, better bet. They may be right. They've seen Hernandez more than I have. They have more information than I do, but I'd hate to see him lose Lamb. Uh, yeah. So, um, Jason, can I ask you something about a piece you wrote for Red Leg Nation? RedLegNation.com, by the way, is a website on the interwebs. And you wrote... Deliver to your house via pipes. Oh, uh, pipes and tubes or something. I'm not sure how yes. it actually works. But uh, you wrote something that I thought, at least briefly, we should talk about. Because I thought it was interesting. And everyone's uh, all all about the Cleveland Indians these days. As we record this, it's a one-to-one World Series, and the Indians have, frankly, looked incredible throughout the postseason. They've really opened a lot of eyes. Surprised me. I didn't expect them to be here. Um, and you sort of compared the Indians to the Reds, and that sounds really, really crazy. S- crazy, yeah. I mean, that's really the only word to describe it. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of like you. I, I, you know, I kind of I knew the Indians were in the playoffs. I wasn't really... You know, I, I don't, for obvious reasons, pay as much attention to the American League as I do to the National League. And, you know, World Series is coming up. It's like, okay, you know, let me. I, and I was just kind of staring at rosters because, you know, I do that. Um, I just kind of was staring at stats. And I was like, you know, this, <laughs> it's it's one of those things where it's like they're just a little bit better than the Reds everywhere. And it was interesting to see how that little difference could, could matter. And it kind of, also the roster construction really in, in some ways, kind of reminded me of how the Reds were a few years ago where they had, you know, three or four guys who could really hit, you know, you, so you could imagine, um, you know, back the Reds team that had save Votto and Chu and like Frazier, you know, and, and it was like, okay, here's some guys who can hit. And then it was one really good pitcher whom we've all seen. He, he, he made the Cubs look foolish. Uh, Corey, Kluber, that was yeah. just a brilliant <laughs> performance. And, you know, that was sort of their 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 Johnny Cueto. And then they had a bunch of guys who were just, like, solid starters. And, you know, one of the things I said in the piece, and I, and I still believe this is true, uh, I remember, I don't know if you remember this, but a lot of people just thinking that Mike Leak was just, you know, just this, like, marginal major league player because he was their fifth starter. And I always was like, no. On, on most major league teams, he's the number three starter. It was just that the Reds had like four number three starters. And nobody understood what that meant. And it, it meant that you were really, really lucky to have Mike Leake as your number five starter because he was a good pitcher. Yeah, we didn't appreciate uh, that. We, we certainly didn't appreciate that. Yeah, and, and it's the same deal with them. They've got a whole bunch of guys after Kluber who, and on the rotation who were sort of like in that like – sort of two wins above replacement area, you know, kind of a little below to a little above. And it was just like, you know what, this is, 
one, this is what the Reds were like a few years ago when they were really good. And two, it's kind of what where they're headed now. Um, you know, especially once Nick Senzel graduates, Jesse Winker should be graduating. Um, you know, the younger guys who should finally take hold, the pitchers that are coming along. And it's not a sure thing. It's not, I'm not foolish enough to be like, oh, in two years, the Reds are going to be in the World Series and win 95 games. But it's it's one of those, if things go according to plan, the next good Reds team will look a whole lot like this Indians team. I, I thought it was a fascinating uh idea that I hadn't really thought about and the and the part that really stood out to me was what you just talked about was the idea about the pitching staff and it got me thinking is this can this be kind of a model for the new wave of baseball uh you were right about the Reds in that in that run they had there Johnny Cueto and then basically four other number three starters I mean you could have any one of them could be your number two starter on any given day uh, you know, some days it was Homer Bailey, some days it was Matt Latos, but you, you know, you had Volquez was in there at that time, and 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 Leak, and it was just a great group. Now I wonder if, since what we've seen in this off season, and I'm gonna try to articulate this, and I'm never good about articulating anything, although it always sounds great because of this crazy accent. But if that's not something that maybe could be doable. It's easier to find a number three starter. Get you a bunch of number three starters if you got an ace, and you got to have an ace. And I don't know that the Reds have an ace now. And you said in your in your piece that your money is on the one guy they've got that could reach his full potential and maybe be that number one guy would be Amir Garrett. They got a couple other guys maybe, but I'm with you on Amir Garrett. You've seen him more than I have, and I'm I'm, I'm high on him. But if you can get a, if you can get that ace guy and and Corey Kluber's and Johnny Cueto's don't grow on trees, and then fill it in with. Uh, you know, you you can have, I guess, what I'm saying. You can have a bunch of decent starters the rest of the way if you use your bullpen in a proactive fashion. And like we've seen with Andrew Miller in the off season, like we're hoping that we're going to see with our probable relievers. We can, we, and we've talked about what we think about Iglesias and, and Lorenzen for the Reds uh, being starters. But guys that can go multiple innings and shut down relievers that you can bring on at different parts of the game seems to me like that's a pretty good model for a pitching staff, in my mind, because not every team can have uh, two number one starters. Or, or the like. I think of Kurt Schilling and, and Randy Johnson, you know, leading the Diamondbacks to the to the World Series. That's tough to do, but, man, if you can get that ace, which is easier said than done, that might be yeah. an interesting model for a team that's maybe less expensive. Uh, what do you think about that? Am I, am I, does that make I any think, sense to you? I think it does. I think you've got to have that guy who can go toe-to-toe with anybody. Um, a la Cueto or Kluber or, you know, like Arietta did last night, you know, that you got to have that one guy. And then after that, you need somebody who on any given day can give you a chance to win. Um, and, 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 I'm sorry to interrupt, but you need a guy also in the bullpen that can be the Andrew Miller. Yeah. And we had that during the Johnny Cueto time. In, and in and not, to, not to depress everybody, but I'm going to right now. This is, <laughs> this is how far they fall. Oh, don't, don't. I, I got, I've got to, because I had to Jason, look it up. I'm curious. Jason. 2012, that was the year they only used five starters, except for that day they had a doubleheader and had to call up Todd Redman for a start. The immortal Todd Redman. Yeah. That's the name Johnny of this podcast, Cueto. by the way. It's the Todd Redman edition. Yeah. So Johnny Cueto was worth, according to Fancrafts, 4.7 wins above replacement, which is definitely solid ace stuff. Then you had Latos at 3.1, Bailey at 2.7, Arroyo at 2.6, and, and Leak at 1.4, which is almost a carbon copy, frankly, of what the Cleveland starting staff looked like this year. This year for the Reds. Oh, no. Here are the top five starting pitchers in terms of wins above replacement. 
Disco at 2.0. Oh, no. Grayley, 1.2. Bailey, 0.6. Iglesias, who made five starts, 0.5. <laughs> Finnegan, 0.4. Okay. Disco and Homer were hurt. They missed a lot of time. There's there's reason to hope. Yes. That that's better this year. But, yeah, that is that is depressing. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Times. But, you know, it goes back to that 2012, man. Look at that that rotation. Yeah. And everyone's disappointed. I'm disappointed, bummed out that the Reds didn't do more with their window of competitiveness. But, man, that's that, that's your proof to me. I really, truly, 100% in my heart believe the Cincinnati Reds in 2012 were in the conversation for best team in baseball. But yeah. the playoffs are a crapshoot. What did uh, what did Billy Bean say? My voodoo doesn't work in the playoffs or whatever. You know, yeah. uh, it's set up to to get you there, and then after that, it's such a crapshoot. And that's what we're seeing with the Indians this year. They've had some of the luck that the Reds just didn't get. Yeah. Uh, Cueto got hurt in the first <clears throat> game Ugh. of the playoffs, and the rest was history. So yeah. You know, one thing I will say. This is, I guess, sort of veering off topic a little bit, but you know, whatever. Um, I was talking to some some friends today, and you know, I know that a lot of people are really down on Cody Reed. I would advise against that. Thank you. Yes, I'm with you. Go um, preach, we were, man. We were talking about it, and I, you know, I don't think they got to see this in Cincinnati because he he just threw some pitches and just some balls were hit off and were just smoked on in a way that is literally statistically impossible to sustain. Um, the the rate at which he gave up home runs. But we were talking about how there are pitchers where you can watch them pitch, even if it's not against necessarily major league competition, but they have something. And I saw a lot of Cody Reed's AAA starts. I, I, I want to say for a while it seemed like every other time I was at Slugger Field he was pitching. There was a run where I caught six or seven of his starts in a row, I think just because of how the the starts fell and boy when he has it working he's something and i yeah i would say that for him and i say that for amir garrett too when those two have it working there there's something there and you know keep in mind that that he is going to be 23 next year let's 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 give him some time but jason i watched him and he was awful that's what that's what Joe Reds yeah. fans that's what Joe Reds fans saying to you right now. I saw him I, in Cincinnati. He was wearing a Reds uniform, and he was awful. I give up. Okay, well, I'd go watch the NFL. <laughs> yes, I mean it's crazy that so many people have given up on him, isn't it? It's it's forty seven innings from a twenty three year old. <laughs> from a twenty three year old. Think about what you were doing when you were. Tw- don't don't tell us. Uh, no. But but think about what no. you were doing when you were twenty three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh, no, I, I think you're right. Oh, you, you said Garrett, you think that, and in the piece we just talked about, you think that Amir Garrett has a chance to has the best chance to be that that number one guy. But let's not sleep on Cody Reed. He's got great stuff. He's got great stuff. Uh, even Robert Stevenson. There's a reason why he's been an elite prospect for all these years. Uh, yeah, I mean, I will say this, Amir Garrett. I really, he's really my sleeper. If he were to start the season with the Reds next year, um. And I, I would guess he'd be on some kind of innings limit, but boy, I wouldn't be surprised if he won 15 games. I bet. I bet they don't bring him up until July or whatever. To, yeah, probably not because service time and June, all that stuff. June, I mean, yeah, it'll, but, it'll be like mid to late June before he comes up. But I think if he were to start, I 
he, you know, he might, with the exception probably of Iglesias, especially if Iglesias were able to start, I, I, I like Amir Garrett better than just about anybody in the system right now. That's that's high praise, and, you, and you've seen him a lot. I know. I think that what my prediction, and I've been wrong before, just once, but I was wrong once before. Uh, I think Garrett's going to come out and blow away in spring training, and everybody's going to he's going to earn a spot in spring training, but they're not going to give it to him. I, I can see that, that happening. That's kind of my guess too. Yeah, he's, he, he's going to be know, electric. The, yeah, the thing I wrote about Garrett, I think, was last week. I wrote about him was that you have to be really careful looking at his minor league numbers because he is at that point of development, which where we've seen a lot of even great pitchers be at that point where he'll go great for a while and then he'll have a start kind of like Arroyo had for a long time where he'll just explode. And that really skews his numbers. It's not, you know, so his numbers end up not being reflective of what he is typically. Like you can expect him about once a month to have a start where it's just a disaster, but, you know, the other five or six starts he makes that month, watch out. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got to ask you, though, you're going to have to convince me that I need to be an Amir Garrett fan because I'm ha- I've got this this bias. And I just, I'm having trouble getting by it. Uh, you know, uh, I went to graduate school at uh, Georgetown. And Georgetown has a pretty good basketball program. And, of course, Amir Garrett played basketball for St. John's. And I, can I cheer for a St. John's basketball player? I, I mean, don't know, man. You that hurts me. Your own East Coast elitism. <laughs> Listen, I'm a, I love I love me some uh, some baseball. I love I uh, love soccer, but college basketball after right after baseball, college basketball is probably my favorite thing on, on earth. And, uh, and and you know Georgetown's had a great history, and the, and the other school I went to, Virginia, of course, is good now. I have a hard time. I have a hard time talking myself into cheering for anybody that oh. could. could could willingly play basketball for St. John's University. You gone to a Division three school. Then you wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't have to worry about it. I know, right? I wish I'd realized that. Oh, gosh. He better be good because if not, I'm going to hold that St. John's thing I, I really think, I, and I mean, I could be wrong, but boy, Amir Garrett, he... Oh, but he, I, he can be really good. He could, he could be really, really good. Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, obviously, I joke about uh, about not pulling for him. But I try, I like to imagine a scenario where Amir Garrett, Cody Reed, Robert Stevenson, and Rosella Iglesias is able to, is able to start, and all those guys reach their potential or somewhere close to it. Uh, I mean that's one that's the best pitching staff in baseball. Now that's not going to happen more than likely. No. But, but man, that that's that's sort of my dream scenario when I'm uh, half asleep uh, thinking about the Reds. Of course, thinking about the Reds is a recipe for nightmares most nights. But uh, but but they've got they've got some talent. That's why you and I both I think are a little bit optimistic. They they do have some talent, and you know maybe maybe it'll work. Maybe it'll work. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's hope. I I feel like they're on the right track, but. Next year will tell the tale in a lot of ways. Let's, uh, we need to sort of start thinking about wrapping up here, but there's one thing I wanted to talk about. Jason, there's a book available for pre order. Have you heard about this book? There is. I was going to ask you about it. Uh, I think it's by this guy, Chris Garber. Yeah, he's a great he's guy. He's done some stuff with us. There's another, there's another guy, I don't know. 
somebody from Virginia. He talks about the University of Virginia way more than any human being should. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> Chad Dotson, I think, is his name. Yeah, they wouldn't you let know me... that guy at all. I, I do know him. I don't like him much. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't let me write a book about Virginia, so I had to. No, we got you know we we we, we a couple. I guess it's been a month ago now, a month over a month, a little over a month. We announced that uh, Chris Garber, another one of the one of the original guys at Relegation, and I had, had written a book, The Big Fifty, the men and moments that made the Cincinnati Reds. And you know, today very excited to to uh, let everybody know that it's actually available for pre order on Amazon.com. And you know, that's to me that was a that was a fun moment to go on there and. And see the book that, because till now it had been a, a digital file that he and I had been kicking around for a long, long, long time, more than people realize. And, uh, you know, sent it off to the publisher and now it's actually a book and it's got, uh, you can see the picture there with my name on it. And it actually says Chad Dotson, author. And I don't know, I've been writing about baseball for a long time. And this is the first time in a while that I've sort of taken a step back and said, hey, that's, that's kind of cool. So, hey, go pre-order it. Yeah, when there's when there's a real live book w- with your name on it, it's it's neat. And that's the point I was going to say is I was going to actually ask you if you had that because of course Jason, we're going to talk about your book when when that became a reality. That's a that's just kind of a it's a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah, I think there were two moments for me. One was when I saw the cover of my book, and then the other was when it actually came in the mail. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's that's real now. But but Chad, like my book came out forever ago. Let's talk about your book. <laughs> oh no. no! Tell me, tell me, tell me something that we have to look forward to in the book. Like something that you were like, oh, this is really cool, and I'm I'm very glad that it's in the book. Uh, first of all, go buy Jason's book. Go buy Jason's book. Um, but let me. I will. I will answer that question. But yeah, seeing the 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 Amazon.com page and seeing the the cover and my name on it and uh, and Chris's, but. Uh, and knowing all the work that we put into it was just a really cool moment. And I was thinking earlier today about what's it going to be like when they send me a, you know, I get, I get uh, a box and I open it up and there's, gosh, an actual book with the words I wrote in it. It'd be, it'd be fun. It's hard to say. There's lots of moments. We did a ton of research into Red's history. I mean, this goes back to 1869. One of the chapters in the book is about the first professional game. And so we were we we were digging through old newspapers and uh, old sporting news and baseball magazine every source we could get our hands on, and we really it, it it about wore us down. But we did a ton of research because what we were looking to do with this book, there are lots of books about the Reds over the years, and I've enjoyed pretty much all of them. We were telling some of these stories were stories that hadn't been told before very often. You know, there's a double no hitter in two thousand in nineteen seventeen, uh, Fred Tony and, and Hippo Vaughn. That we told the story. It's really fun. Uh, some of the stuff about even about the uh, the nineteen nineteen World Championship and guys like Yule Blackwell, the Whip. That's one of my favorite chapters. Is what I was going to say is about the Whip and all the. Th- there's a there's an item in the book where it talks about all the ways that he's described by players around the league, and um, it, it, it I think it's really fascinating. And I, my favorite part of the book is that we uncovered some things that I really truly believe that even hardcore fans, things that I didn't know going in little stories little anecdotes even something my favorite chapter that i wrote uh you know chris wrote half of them i wrote half of my personal favorite chapter and this surprises me because i'm so sick of pete rose in a lot of ways my favorite chapter is the 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 chapter on his 4192nd hit chris and i talked a lot about how do we handle the big red machine and pete rose because it's been just over covered 
But I look forward to seeing how people respond to the way I address the 4192 chapter. That's uh, we that's did a little bit differently than we've seen before, I think, or I was trying to, because everybody knows that story. So that's that's my what I'm proudest of here, and I hope people see that there are things in there that even it will appeal to just the ordinary fan, a casual fan. But I think there are things in there that, for the rest of us, <coughs> excuse me, for the rest of us that really follow this team and really love the, the history, I think that will everyone's going to get something out of it. So I look forward to your uh, your review, Jason. I, I look forward to reading that. I actually really like what you said about that. The the One of the things that, you know, as somebody who spends a lot of time not just writing about baseball, but in the editing stuff that I do, reading a lot about what other people say, you know, you, you definitely hit a point where it feels like you've read a lot of the same stories kind of over and over again. And, and what it kind of, I've hit the point where what really kind of fascinates me is, coming across a story that I haven't heard before or that's substantially different from what I normally hear. And it sounds like that there's going to be a fair bit of that in this book. And, and so I look, I look forward to, uh, to that aspect. Definitely. Well, we really, we really try. That's a conversation that Chris and I had over and over and over. Everybody knows the story of the big red machine. Everybody knows the story of Pete Rose's uh, return to Cincinnati and his 4,192nd hit. Everyone knows the story of the 1990 reds. <clears throat> How do we come up with a way of telling the story that is a unique perspective on it? And and that was the reason we did all the all the research was can we find anecdotes? Can we find stories? Can we find things that people don't know? And by and large, for all of these chapters, we found little things digging into the newspapers from back then. They're little. Uh, my favorite my favorite story, I think, uh, maybe my favorite story, was about the 1961 Reds. Uh, or my favorite anecdote that we located. And that year, the Reds uh, surprised everyone by winning the National League pennant and going to the World Series. And there was this woman in Cincinnati, and I can't remember her name now. It's escaping me. But <laughs> the, the, the newspapers were sort of following her because she had this routine of whenever the Reds batted, she had a fly swatter that she would slap on her kitchen counter. <laughs> and it caused the Reds to play well, and they win every game that she'd do that. <laughs> and, and so before the World Series, they were talking about, oh, you know, is her magic fly swatter going to lead the Reds past uh, the Yankees? And, of course, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris said no. But uh, little little stories like that that I think give some color to these stories that some of us know so well, I think ended up uh, making an interesting book. And I hope people hope people you know are able to pull that from from the project. I have one really, really important question for you. Let's hear it. Did you spend any time in this process looking at microfiche? <laughs> I did not. I did not. But it, it, <laughs> it's funny you say that. I actually... Uh, Chad I, and I are both old enough to have done research <laughs> right. on microfiche. What's, what's amazing, we're so lucky, and, and, and we could not have written this book the way we did it 10 years ago. And that's something we actually say in the acknowledgments. Because the Cincinnati Enquirer, their our entire archives are available online back to the mid 1800s, and of course you got to pay for it, uh, which we did. But uh, you can actually go and look, and it was so fascinating. He and I kept going down these rabbit holes, uh, where oh my goodness, can you believe what? Uh, can you believe this? Can you believe that? Look, what we look what I found that were not even related, but just things that you see in the newspaper. 
and uh, and in ten years ago, we talked about it. Ten years ago, we would have had to look at microfish to to uh, to do all this, and it's all available online mostly now. So that's that's funny. Um, another good one is, and I'm not. Uh, we, this actually didn't make the book, so we're going to put something. Uh, I think we may actually run something. We're talking about maybe with Cincinnati Magazine about it, but there's a great story about when Babe Ruth came to Cincinnati for an exhibition game uh, in 1920, I think, 21, maybe 21, and uh, there was a there was a bet made in a local bar that he could never hit a home run at a, at a Redland uh, field in Cincinnati. No, no one ever had hit one out, and of course he hit two, and, uh, and and based out of that bet that some guys had at a bar, a guy ends up dead. It's a great story that I promise I'm going to introduce to everyone that I found just because I was reading these old newspapers and, and followed this story and had to go research this story all the way through uh, the, the indictment phase and the grand jury. and So I, 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 think, I really, truly think it's not just going to be a rehash of the things you've already seen. That was our goal. We don't want to just rehash things. So I hope so. Well, I, yeah, You never know. but well, It sounds good, and we'll all look forward to it, and everybody should, should pre-order it immediately. Yeah, let's go get that on the bestseller list. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not uh, hoping for that, but I do hope people will uh, pre-order it. And if you do, send me a tweet at me at at Dotson C a copy of your receipt so that I can give you a shout out because uh, I do appreciate. It. I'm I'm so thankful for everybody that's been so supportive of us uh, during this process. It's gonna be a fun year. It's gonna be a fun year uh, promoting the book and and going through that process. Uh, anything else we can talk about today, Jason? Um, I think we got it pretty well covered. Yeah, I think we uh, I think we hit the high spots, and you gave me an opportunity to talk about uh, about my book, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, this is uh, Jason Linden at Jason Linden, J A S O N L I N D E N on Twitter. I'm Chad Dotson. I told you my uh, handle. You can follow us at Red Leg Nation as well. This is the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. You can find us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast device is. You can subscribe to us, and I appreciate it if you would. And if you uh, if you do go to iTunes, give us a rating or a review that helps other people find us. And uh, and I've been really gratified by all the feedback we've been getting lately, and I really appreciate all of you downloading and listening to the podcast. I know you've got a lot of things you can do with your entertainment uh, time, and uh, the fact that you take time out of your day to, to download and listen to me and Jason and, and me and uh, Bill and everybody else that uh, we talk about here on the talk with on the podcast it really means a lot to me. I do appreciate it. Um, do go to redlegnation.com every day. We're following the Reds even during this uh, off season. I think it's a pivotal off season for the Reds, and we'll be following them all year long, all winter long, uh, into a pivotal 2017 season. So, so come to redlegnation.com every day and keep listening to us. Jason, thanks for joining me again, buddy. I'm going to have you on again here very, very, very soon. Anytime, Chad. I know. I love it. Uh, always a good time talking to you. For Jason Linden, this is Chad Dotson saying. So long, everyone.